Let's pray. God, we come before your throne full of grace and mercy, expectant, expectant of you to move in a way that someone in this room has never seen before, expecting you to touch a soul in a fresh way. God, soften the hearts of those listening this morning to accept your word as truth. And God, use me to proclaim your gospel in spirit and in truth. Lord, allow someone to see your grace for the first time this morning. Lord, I pray, of course, for those that are unable to make it here, whether it's sickness or health or whatever it might be, Lord, give them the encouragement, Give them the reminder that church isn't just a building. Lord, we come before you asking you to do a work here this morning. To ask you to go before us would really not be true because it's so evident that you're already here. Your word says that where two or three are gathered, you're in their midst. Lord, your people are here this morning to hear from you. And allow that to happen. God, of course, we pray for the peace of Israel, as you have commanded us to do. And Lord, we pray for our nation, that you put your hedge of protection around us. God, give our leaders wisdom. Turn a heart to you, God. Not for our comfort, but for your glory. And God, we thank you in advance for the work that you're going to do. We thank you for the work that you're doing. And Lord, we also praise you for what you've already done. God, allow me to become less so that you can become more. Open our ears this morning. Open our hearts to receive what you have to say. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Hope Community Church. For those of you that are new, we are honored and grateful and blessed that you have decided to worship with us this morning. Very full morning. Got a few announcements, exciting updates to bring to you at the end of, of the message. Um, so, so please keep your ears open. Um, but, but before we do that, of course, we're going to get into God's Word. Now, no matter where you go... And if you're of the faith, you know this to be true. There are people that oppose or even hate Christians. Whether it's because of jealousy for the joy that we have or the peace that we are able to rest in, no matter the situation that the world throws at you, those that don't know Christ never fail to criticize people of the faith. Well, it's easy to despise something that you know nothing about. From the terms Christian nationalist to white right-wing, I'm sorry, right-wing extremists to Bible thumpers. Remember that one back in the day? The world continues to make up titles for followers of Jesus with the goal of bringing out anger in the Christian. 
And when these Christians refrain from spewing anger, but actually live out their faith and respond and act in love, those that are opposing the faith just get angrier. As the saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So Peter is writing in this portion of the letter that we're going to get into today that this hatred toward the faith is nothing new. And, and though it can hurt at times, it's really nothing to be afraid of because it can't destroy us. In the earlier part of this letter, he encourages the believers that are undergoing this sort of persecution. And now he shifts his focus. He begins to warn the believers of the type of persecution that they are about to experience. is not going to be a personal persecution, but more of a corporate persecution. In other words, the capital C church is about to walk through a, what he calls fiery trial. But this fiery trial is not to deter us. It's not to discourage us, and it sure isn't to divide us. These fiery trials that come upon us are to deepen and develop our faith to those that can withstand it and even weed out those that can't. Christ is weeding out his church. And of course, as we read this letter, just like all of Scripture, though it was written a couple thousand years ago, it's just as applicable today as the time it was written. So let's get into it. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, cruising our way through this letter. About three weeks left, including today, we'll be going through uh, verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Let's start by reading verse 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The first point for this morning, obedience to Christ leads to suffering. You're seeing this consistent throughout his letter. Obedience to Christ leads to suffering. You see, the gospel of Christ flips this whole idea of persecution and suffering on its head. Peter writes that if any sort of trial or, or persecution comes upon you, count it as a blessing. You are not only being tested by God, but now you have another opportunity to give him the glory. Of course, you hear of persecutions, persecution on those that are in the underground churches, and, and you begin to develop this idea that persecution is something that happens only over there. 
and let's give our money to them, throw it at them, and just pray and say, that's all we need to do. But we never consider the idea that it could happen here. Or, or maybe that it already has begun. And if you look at history, you will actually see that the freedom that we have here to worship and proclaim the name of Jesus in the public square is actually an anomaly. It's not normal. Hardly ever throughout the history of humanity have people been protected by the law to worship their God, and even fewer countries have been established based upon biblical principles. The United States is, is blessed not because we are special or, or have anything to offer, but because this country was established to freely worship God. If you don't believe me, look at the First Amendment of our Constitution of the United States. It says, it says these words, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is important. This is very important. Not because this is the word of God. That's not where I'm trying to go with this. But rather, this is man's decision to establish a nation with freedom to worship God as the number one priority. It's the First Amendment. And when you look throughout the Old Testament, you see that God always blessed the nations that were founded with him as their God. And oftentimes, this persecution came when an ungodly king took the throne and rid the nation of its worship to this true God, to the true God of the Bible, and, and turned them to either worship a king or the idols he established. So a nation is established on godly principles, referring to the God of the Bible, and the nation prospers. God prospers the nation, and a nation that then rids itself of godly principles and, and worships anything but the one true God, the nation eventually divides, then falls. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see this today, and you don't even have to look hard. You just have to be willing to see it. The administration currently running our country, doing everything that they can to take God out of the American society, putting people in prison or fining them for hate crimes simply because they refuse to put aside their biblical convictions. And after you watch this time and time again, you see dramatic division begin to form within our own borders, putting people in prison, fining them. For following the Bible. The culture, the, the, the result of this is the culture then living and struggling with their identity, falling into the lie that they're a different sex than who God intricately made them to be. Laws passed to legalize abortion, even up to birth, trying to remove the in God we trust as the American motto. You see, worship is no longer to the God of the Bible, but rather the God that we have created. 
the concerning part about removing God from the foundation of a nation and asking him to leave and forcing him out, the concern is that eventually he will leave. And oh, my friend, he will leave. And this has never throughout history of humanity resulted in anything positive for the people. What does it look like? It looks like buildings being burned and riots thrown in the name of justice and equality. It looks like millions of foreigners coming into the country illegally, bringing their weapons, drugs, and anti-Christian ways of thinking with them. It looks like anxiety and depression at staggering heights that it's becoming the norm. It looks like addictions to sex, cell phones, and self-image. My friend, if you want God to leave, he will leave. And this process can happen quickly or very slowly. But you see, then we begin to confuse a fiery trial with a lot of the... the, We begin to confuse a, a fiery trial with the result of bad decisions. Oftentimes, the, the fiery trials are, are not the cause of bad decisions. They are the result of them. When one side eventually gives in to the immorality and godlessness, or worse, joins it, the result is a fiery trial. Peter is writing here, though, to the people of God and telling them not if, not if these fiery trials come, But when these fiery trials come, we are to be grateful because we have something that the world doesn't have. And that's the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit gives us strength to stand firm in any trial. And this persecution that is to come will only add to our testimony and give God the glory. He says, don't be surprised, but rather rejoice. You know, we're so quick to raise our fists at God and ask why, but we need to be raising both of our hands in praise. Because it's through these trials and suffering that we are able to know him more and give glory to him. In a world that shoves the news down your throat and tells you to watch for the latest trends, I want to stand before you and beg you to turn off the news and open your Bible and study and read about God's faithfulness in the midst of the worst of trials. And then you will read that he is not only faithful, but he truly is good. And not only this, he is in heaven building a mansion for those that have put their faith in him. You see, a lack of clarity and confidence in the midst of your struggles is often a lack of prayer and worship that comes from trusting God at his word. God's word is unchanging. It is relevant, and it is for your good and his glory. I must add, the enemy doesn't, I want you to hear this, the enemy doesn't attack those that are standing still. If you're undergoing persecution or fiery trials, It's because the enemy sees that you are a threat and will do anything that he can to keep you from giving God glory. 
Anywhere that, that God is moving, the enemy seeks to divide and conquer. Any church that has no conflict isn't a church that you should stay away from, but rather that, that you should question the kingdom impact they're making. If a church has no conflict, that doesn't mean to avoid them, but question them. Listen to Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Where there is a mess, there is a mission. And where there is a mess, there is a purpose. Where there is a mess, the Lord is working through people because people are messy. The only perfect church that you will find is in heaven with Christ as the great high priest, and sin is no longer an option. In other words, if you find a church that's perfect, you're either dead or the church is. The enemy doesn't attack churches that aren't a threat. Let's keep reading. Verse 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Point number two. Suffering for Christ leads to praise of Christ. Suffering for Christ leads to praise of Christ. Peter writes that to the church that even amidst the persecution that is coming, accept it because you made a stance for Christ, not for anything else. This is a reiteration of what he just said. He said, if you're going to suffer for being a murderer or a thief, then you're really doing it to yourself. You deserve it. But if you're undergoing opposition because of your faith, then my friend, count it all joy. Because you are adding jewels to your crown in heaven. Peter wants us to know that suffering and persecution is never a valid excuse for sin. Stop trying to blend in with the world, he says, so that you don't take on this opposition. Christians are called to not be of the world, but rather in the world. Right? We hear that all the time. And if, and if this is true, then we have to stop trying to act like we are in the world or of the world. <clears throat> you hear this word, seeker-friendly. Seeker-friendly. It's the seeker-friendly church where, where these churches put on events that are butting up right to the line of being sinful so that they can attract those that are outside the church. But you see, when your desire is to be attractive and you jeopardize your convictions in the process, you aren't sharing the gospel. You are simply coming up with a good marketing ploy. And a marketing ploy won't get a soul into heaven. There is nothing about the gospel that is attractive. A man being beaten to the point of not being recognized covered head to toe in blood, 
hanging on a cross for so long that he could barely speak, and then being stabbed on his side to assure that he was dead, then ripped off this cross, thrown into a tomb, that's not something that is fun or entertaining or attractive. In fact, I would, I would say to call it that or to make it that really is a direct insult to what it is. You see, the issue with trying to blend in with the culture is that eventually you do. And when you blend in with the world, you're in direct contradiction with Christ's call for the church to be the hope of the world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and... And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How about 1 Peter 2? We went through this a few weeks back. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, listen to this, who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. The best thing that you could suffer for based on the Bible is your relationship and your faith in Christ. There are rewards in heaven that are incomparable. You may not understand it, but you really aren't commanded to. You are to expect the unexpected. I've heard it said before that you are either in the middle of a trial, you just got out of one, or you're about to be in one. I would say that whatever season that you are in, give God the glory and stay in step with his spirit. Be obedient to his call. Don't strive for comfort. Strive for contentment in who Christ said he is. There's a big difference. And when it comes, when that trial comes, don't get angry at God, but praise him. Suffering leads to praise. It forces you on your knees so that you have nowhere to look but up. And my friend, once you get into that season, to that posture, you have a view of God that you will never have experienced before. Suffering leads to praise. Verses 17 through 19. Let's keep reading. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God... And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing so. Point number three, suffering leads to deeper intimacy with Christ. 
suffering leads to a deeper intimacy with Christ. This is an interesting text. What we must remember is that there is a huge difference between suffering and punishment, right? We went over this a few weeks back. If you don't know what, if you want maybe a better explanation than I could give you, go turn to the book of Job and read it cover to cover. We're not being punished because of what we do. Let that be an encouragement to you this morning. We're not being punished because of what we did. Christ already bore the punishment for our sins on the cross. Could someone give me an amen on that? We're not being punished. We're being made pure. That's why we go through suffering. That's why suffering comes. That's why God allows us to suffer for his sake so that we can know him in a new and fresh way. If it were up to me, would I want to have to suffer to know God more? No, absolutely not. But I've heard this illustration before of a sculptor Maybe you've heard it before, too. A sculptor who, who makes a statue in a, or a piece of art, and, and the sculptor, he uses this, this axe and a, and a chisel to, to get rid of the pieces on, on the material that he's using that aren't necessary. He starts with this giant block of whatever material he uses, and, and with each swing of his hammer, a piece falls off, one at a time. And eventually he gets this beautiful sculpture. That's what God is doing to us. He's slowly making us more like him with every swing of the axe, with every chip of the hammer. And as each, as each piece falls off, yes, it hurts. But it makes us more like who the creator intended us to be. Suffering hurts, but it is more than beneficial. And it's through this suffering that we're able to relate to the one who suffered on our behalf. Suffering, listen to this, suffering for the Christian happens in this life, but suffering for the unbeliever happens for all eternity. He said, if it begins with us, Peter said, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's reminding us that because we are alive and in the flesh, we're going to suffer. But because of Christ and what he did on the cross and rose again, there will soon be a day that suffering will be no more. And if that is the case, this life is so short. And if you're going to suffer, if we are going to suffer as a capital C church, let it be for the prosperity of God's kingdom and for his glory. 
and rejoice when it comes. You know, in Florida, where we lived, there were a lot of these giant weeds called palm trees. <laughs> now, a, a lot of them, you know, in fact, there were so many of them that they really lost their luster. They were everywhere. They were all over neighborhoods. They were all over parking lots. They were at the beaches, at the parks, inside shopping malls. They were iconic. Those of you that have been there know they were iconic for this aesthetic of Palm Beach County, Florida. The natives hated them. Like I said, they were often referred to as giant weeds. They offered nothing to the landscape in terms of ecological benefit. Their roots were very shallow compared to other trees of their size. They offered minimal housing for birds because their palms were not ideal for nesting. Because of their small tops, they then offered a little bit of shade compared to a giant tree. And they were actually a risk. I know this having little kids. They were actually a risk because the coconuts and berries that grew on them could fall off literally at any time. But there was something very interesting about palm trees that I learned about being down there. The stronger the storm that came, the stronger the tree became. The reason is this. When the winds and the rain would come from whether it's tropical storms or, or, or hurricanes, the tree would start to sway. And as this tree was tossed to and from, it, it would loosen the soil around the roots. This would then allow the roots to go more deeper into the soil, therefore strengthening the overall structure and life of the tree. The stronger the storm that came, the stronger the tree became. The thing about palm trees is that after a major storm, you would drive around town and see many of these palm trees either uprooted or folding in half. In other words, not all trees were prepared for the harshness of the storm that was coming. You see where I'm going. Peter is saying there is a fiery trial that is coming. You're going to witness and be a victim of persecution, not just individually, but as a church and as people of God. Get prepared, get ready, and be fervently in prayer. Because though the storm is coming and is already here, your faith is going to be taken to a depth that you have never seen or been to before. Stand firm. Stand for Christ despite opposition. Keep Christ in your family, regardless of what the world tells you to do. Proudly represent your faith both in the marketplace and the school. Don't lose sight of your eternal destination in heaven. As this storm comes upon us and the persecution uprises, let us suffer for doing good. Let us suffer for obeying God's call above man's. 
Let us suffer because we acted in love in a time where the world knew nothing but hate. Let us suffer because we are being a light while the world is full of darkness. Let us suffer not because we deserve it, but because Christ deserves the glory. Will you pray with me? God, it's true that no matter what the world brings, what our life has in front of us, that if there is one thing that we can do, it's to praise you in the midst of it. God, it's through this suffering that we truly know you more, that we become more like you. And let that ring true in our lives. Let every decision we make reflect you. Reflect your goodness in our life. Reflect your faithfulness. And God, allow us to rest knowing that no matter the severity of the storm, we know and have a relationship with the one who has all control of all things. And we thank you for that. Lord, we love you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.